Hey, good morning, High Street, and those in for the conference. I am, uh, I told the first service this, I'm, this is a special place, and I feel a kindredness when I come here. This is my second time. I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, and now in Dallas, coming back here, I'm met with such love and genuine kindness and hospitality that I feel, I feel at home with a family here, family in Christ. And it says in the scriptures that there is one church of which Christ is the head. And so we're meeting in Dallas, y'all are meeting in Springfield, but there is one church and we're all together in Christ. And so thank you for allowing me to be a part. When you walked in, you received a gift. You're probably like, no, I didn't, it wasn't a gift. There's a gift that I gave to you. That is a, a black thread, it's a bookmark actually. Uh, not just a black thread, but a bookmark. You're welcome, I know. No one said thank you, but I get it. And I want you to, if you have your Bible, I want you to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter three, and that's where your bookmark's gonna live for as long as you uh, have that either bookmark or that Bible. I want you to keep it there as a reminder of the black threads of life that are afflictions. Because I... I was reading recently through 1 Thessalonians. I just like was kind of outside of normal reading. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read the letter to the Thessalonians. And I got to this verse in chapter three, and I like stopped dead in my tracks. I don't know if this has happened to you before, where the, the, the words are just kind of like new and fresh, and like you're you're literally thinking, like, has that always been there? Like, am I reading a different translation? Why how have I never seen that? And the words that jumped off the page that, that I couldn't shake, that I believe the Lord gave to me that, that have birthed the message that I'm gonna share with you today, and I've never shared it before. This is, I think, what he had for me to share with you all in the first service this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, which says that none of you would be moved by these afflictions, for you know, this is, the, this is the sobering part, for you know that we were destined for them. Now that's not a popular teaching. I don't know what the prosperity gospel teachers do with that passage. I'm sure it's omitted or they say, well that, that was just for Paul in the time of Thessalonica. It's not the case. These are the inerrant, eternal scriptures that are useful to us for instruction living an active word of God. And so the Lord has said that our role is, is to be expecting them, that we are destined for afflictions, which is represented by the black thread of life, and that we wouldn't be moved by them. That when they're woven into the fabric of our life, that, that we, in Christ, our solidarity, our bedrock foundation, that we would not be moved by them. And so I, I know that we know this experientially. Like everybody, I, I'm, I'm old enough to know that everyone in the room is facing some kind of battle. Whether it's a breakup or joblessness or financial strife or the past pain of sexual abuse or the loss of a loved one, a divorce, a separation, infidelity, an addiction, that everyone's facing something. We are all walking through battles and sometimes we put on our Sunday best. How are you? I'm great, I'm great, okay, great. And then we go and we weep in the parking lot when we get into our car or when we hit the office on Monday morning, that pit in our stomach on Sunday night, whatever it may be, everyone's facing something. And so today, 
I want to not just speak to the experiential black thread of life, but forced go beneath that and build a, a theological foundation. I think we know it experientially and we have a light theological understanding of afflictions and I wanna flip that to where we have a, a resolve and a resounding understanding of the afflictions that the Lord has said we are destined for so that when it seeps through to us, our experience would be informed by our theology. That's my aim today, that you would walk out these doors ready to receive from God's sovereign hand the afflictions that you were destined for, that you wouldn't be moved by them. I've got five things that we're gonna walk through about the black threads of the afflictions of life. And before we do, I wanna put something up on this stand as I read a poem. This is not my poem but it is very instructive for us today. <laughs> My parents are, they, they're here in Missouri still, and Laura and I were visiting them on Friday night after we flew in. And I was standing there outside one of the bathrooms and I was like, just staring down at the floor. My, my mom and dad were like, do you need that? Do you want that? I'm like, yes, actually, I need a rug. <laughs> they're like, well, you bought it for us a long time ago. You can have it. And I needed it for today, and here's why. Listen to this poem. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I, in my foolish pride, forget that he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads, the black threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. You see, as we talk about the black threads of life, if, if in this rug, and, and we now behold the underside, and the underside, it's, it's dull, it's not vibrant, but there's black there. You can see the black, and, and the black has a purpose. And some of the black's purpose is to be side by side to contrast the colors. They are more vibrant and bright as they are contrasted to the black. They, they pop more. And also, so they give, they give brightness and richness to this, the black do. And if I were to remove all of the black, this would lose some of the strength that was there. If I were to remove the black, some of the design would be lost. It would be this... It would be more abstract, but rather the black has actually made connective tissue. And in some of the black, as we're speaking in analogy in my life, you see this, this rug I bought in Bern, Switzerland. And 24 or 40 hours beforehand, before I got this gift from my parents while I was backpacking through Europe, I was wasted, drunk, and high. I'm now almost 17 years sober, but even the self 
inflicted black threads, my thread of addiction, it says that in the master's hand, he can redeem it all, that nothing escapes his design. So even the self-inflicted afflictions, but God weaves those and has a purpose even in those. So today I wanna talk about the black threads of life, the afflictions, and before I do, I'll tell you about the author of that poem. The one who wrote that poem is Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom uh, lived her childhood during World War II in Nazi Germany as they were sweeping across. And they got to Holland, and the Tenboom family there, they were hiding the Jews in their house. They had the hiding place where they would keep Jews so that they would not be taken off to the concentration camps. Well, eventually, word got out. Um, they're not sure, they maybe suspect a neighbor, but someone leaked that the Ten Boom family was hiding the Jews, and so the Nazi Gestapo came and got the Ten Booms, Christians, and they said, you were keeping them from the concentration camp, then that's where you will go too. And so young Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were taken to Ravensbrook, and Betsy wouldn't make it out of Ravensbrook. There she would die. Corey was meant to be killed, exterminated was the word that they used, except for a clerical error, a clerical error. Nothing escapes the weaver's design. One week before she was released, before everyone her age was killed. She was the one who later in years would write the words that I just read. And it says, he gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Are you kidding me? The Corey who suffered in Ravensbrook, who lost her sister to the hand of evil Nazi Germany, would write about the black threads that God sovereignly and providentially wove into her life, her saying that they are there by design and they have not escaped my God's purpose. Her life is but a weaving between her God and me. She cannot choose the colors he weaves steadily. So today, talking about the black threads of life, the afflictions, why God allows them, even ordains them, and how he uses them. Here are the five things that we're going to say. This is not comprehensive or exhaustive, but I think for our purposes, it'll be helpful. They, the black threads are hard but good. They are more painful without perspective. They are certain, but they will be comforted. Some are from a father for fruit. And finally, if they are allowed, if the black threads are allowed, then they will be redeemed, God promises. So first, the black threads are hard but good, hard but good. My in-laws, uh, before we had kids, took us to Italy. And we were at the Academy. The Academy is a, a museum that's famous because it's where is housed the David by Michelangelo. Michelangelo is called the master, like he is the epitome of sculptors of all of the, the world's history. And he has the David, which is known to be the world's greatest sculpture that's ever been made. Exquisite in detail. You can make out veins in David. I mean, the, the detail and level that Michelangelo went to create the David is astonishing. And yet, as I rounded the corner in the academy to, to, to behold the David, I stopped looking at the David and I was frozen as I looked at on either side, flanking left and right of the David are, are other of Michelangelo's works that are 
very, very little known. In fact, I would, I would ask by show of hands, has anyone heard of The Prisoners by Michelangelo? Next to no one, The Prisoners. You know why? Because they're unfinished. The Prisoners are ones that he began. He was chiseling and shaping, and so you can see a man, like his feet still in stone, you can see the leg, abdomen, and, and pressing out, but they're unfinished. You can't make out the face in some of them. There's about four or five, the prisoners, and they're on either side, and they're there juxtaposing the David because the David is complete. Like head to toe, every square inch has had the master, the designer's intricate attention, and then these just left. And as they've been left, no one pays attention to them. But it's shocking the difference. And when I say that the black threads of life of affliction are hard but good, the stone, if it could speak, would be like, stop striking me with your chisel. Stop knocking off that which is a part of me. But God is not after shaping you into you. He's after shaping you into Christ. And so there's, there's lore that says, they asked Michelangelo, how did you create the David? And he said, it was simple. I just removed every part of the stone that was not David. And so it is with us in our sanctification as he chisels upon us with often affliction. There are other means of sanctification, but often affliction is used to sanctify us, to chisel off the parts. And painful though they are, they are hard, but they are good. And God is shaping you into the image of Christ. It says this in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers. How in the world could you count affliction and suffering joy? How, God, my brothers and sisters? Well, let me summarize because he's making you into Christ so you can count it joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, the chiseling, of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, meaning don't resist it, don't try to escape it, but submit yourself to it, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The David is the David and draws tourists from every corner of the world because of its completion and perfection. No one, no one goes to the academy to see the prisoners because they've been left off from the work. But the one that is perfect and complete, the droves go to to see, and may it be the same of us, because God is shaping you into Christ, and the shaping is hard, but it is good. And so as the shaping comes, as the afflictions come, my application to you is to just submit yourself to God. Don't strive against him. Don't shake your fist at him, as Job's wife did, when he loses everything, his health, his children, his money, and she says, curse God and die. And he's like, no. Receive good from the Lord. He gives and takes away, tears his clothes, ashes, shaves his head, falls to his knees. Blessed be the name of the Lord and worships. So as affliction come, the good but hard, hard but good, submit yourself to God's sovereignty. Secondly, the black threads are more painful without perspective. The afflictions in life are more painful without eternal perspective. I think about this, uh, uh, the first time we took our kids to Colorado, 
Well, we, uh, you know, I grew up driving from Missouri, well, in high school for the first time, from Missouri through Kansas to Colorado now as a dad, especially in Texas, we're like, we gotta get out of the heat in the summer. So it's 105, we will make the, the trek through West Texas to get to Colorado. And the first time we're with the kids, you know, they're, they're in their car seats in the Suburban, and what do you think they asked me on repeat? There was one question. When are we there yet? When will we be there? I mean, ad nauseum, just every 20 minutes. Are we there yet? How much longer? So much so that it's now a family rule in our family. You cannot ask how much longer are we there yet? When will we be there? It's like, it's off the table because it's not helpful. It's not helpful if I'm like, well, it's 11 more hours. It's nine more hours. As a kid, that's an eternity to them. Now, I, as I drive, when I'm leaving Dallas, Texas, and, and like begin in our old beat up suburban, I'm already thinking like, oh, this is amazing. This is so good. And the kids are like, this is horrible. This is, this is solitary confinement in this suburban of death that you're taking us to Colorado. What are we doing? But I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm enjoying the West Texas Plains, and then we'll get to New Mexico, and then, and then we'll see the first Horizon Mountains, and then we'll get to it. And I know we're going to get to like 70-degree highs. We're going to get to the Cachera River that we can put our feet in. We're going to walk the trails, the restaurants that I know. Because I have the perspective of the destination, it makes it enjoyable and easy for me. The perspective, I have a perspective of the end that reduces the pain of the road trip. But my kids, because they don't have perspective of Colorado and what it is, now they do, they had greater pain. And so without perspective, life is more painful. Scripture says this. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul writes, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. There is the eternal perspective that reduces the pain. He calls the affliction light and momentary in light of eternity, beyond all comparison. Now, in case you read that in 2 Corinthians chapter four and you're like, light and momentary? Are you kidding me, Paul? Light and momentary because I lost my spouse to cancer. Light and momentary, my adult child is a prodigal and they're dying of addiction and now homeless. Light and momentary, I can't make my ends meet to even pay rent. I've had foreclosure. I'm swallowed up in debt. Light and momentary, I can't get a job. Light and momentary, my spouse just filed. Light and momentary, like, <laughs> it feels insulting that you would have the audacious heart to call my life light and momentary. But listen to what Paul called light and momentary. Imprisonments, beatings. Five times he got whipped 39 times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. And they didn't stone people to injure them. They stoned them to kill them. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. Many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And that's not even all. He says he fought wild beasts in Ephesus. Paul was afflicted and yet he calls all of that light and momentary. If I had one of those, I would call it heavy and long-term. I'd remember it and talk about it the rest of my life. Like, God, remember when you like put me literally in a coliseum with wild beasts? Really? 
And yet he calls it light and momentary. How can that be? It can be because in 2 Corinthians, just a little bit later in chapter 12, he says, I was caught up to heaven and I saw things men's permitted is not permitted to tell. Things that I can't even explain. I've seen heaven. I've seen the other side. And so this, oh my goodness, this, these black threads, this is light and momentary. His pain was reduced because his perspective was increased. And so when affliction hits, the application would be that you say and that you pray, this is hard, but I get heaven. This is hard, but I get heaven. This is not the end, I get heaven. My wife, Laura, just walked through breast cancer. They haven't yet declared her in remission. That has to go five years. She's just one year out. We hope it never comes back, but we've got a scan in two weeks, and who knows? My wife, before cancer hit, in her phone, you know the like yellow notepad feature? She has a note that's called suffering. And it's, I mean, you can scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Because she set her mind to know that, hey, it's just, that's just the nature of life. Like as you read the scriptures, we are promised suffering, affliction, trial, tribulation. It says in Acts 14, 23, after Paul was stoned, he went and strengthened the church. You know how he strengthened them? <laughs> he said, it is through many trials and tribulations that you must, not might, must enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a, that's a really strange pep talk, Paul. Unless it's reality, and he was preparing them, having been stoned, almost killed, that he would say, hey guys, let me just warn you. I want you to have perspective, eternal perspective, so that when it hits, your faith isn't shaken, or as 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, you will not be moved. Let no one be moved. Don't be moved. Be bedrock foundation on Christ, don't be moved. Don't be surprised. But have eternal perspective. The afflictions, the black threads are coming. God's gonna weave them in. And so when cancer hit, Laura had her note, but her note was just reflective of her heart. She was ready. She had set her mind to the things of God, and she's like, come what may. This is hard, but I get heaven. Number three, the black threads are certain, and if they are certain, then they will be comforted. It is a promise of God that you will have black threads in life. You will, they are certain, but they will be comforted. Every single affliction will be met with comfort. Our oldest kid, when he was two years old, maybe earlier, whenever he'd bump his head, scratch his knee, anything like that, we would say, do you want, do you want us to hold you? You want us to hold you? I don't know what he, you know, he didn't know words yet or language. He just knew sounds, like hold you. It was probably like H-O-L-J-U, hold you. Like what is hold you? And so when he would get hurt, he would walk up to us and say, hold you me, hold you me. Like he was like, whatever that thing is, hold you. Like hold you me right now. And so he's using broken speech. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He just knows what he needs. And God promises, hey, it's, it's not dependent upon your prayers. It's not that in your broken, frail speech, I know what you need before you even ask. 
It says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, listen to the promise that the sufferings are certain, but so also is the covering of comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. He, when it says all comfort, any comfort that you receive, he's the source. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. There is never an affliction or a black thread in your life that he will not wrap up in comfort. It is a promise who comforts us in all our affliction. Why God, why would you do that? Just, just for my own good? No. In God's economy, he takes care of you and you take care of others not to your own detriment. It's this multiplier of the gospel. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So you don't have to have gone through something in order to comfort someone in anything. If you're like, well, I've, I've never, I've never like, I wasn't sexually abused when I was a kid and they're, they're torn up by that and so I can't really comfort them. The scripture says, no, you can. In fact, you must. You've received comfort that it might flow through you, not as a keeper, but a conduit of comfort. Well, I've never lost a spouse and so I can't comfort someone in that. No, you must because as God comforted you so that you might comfort those in any affliction any affliction. So you don't have to have gone through something in order to speak comfort to anyone. Here's the source. If you're like, but I don't know how and I don't have that experience with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For, in case you think 1 Thessalonians might have been taken out of context, scripture interprets scripture, here it is again. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, not partially, not minutely, not occasionally, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in the comfort too. The black threads are certain and they will be covered with comfort Here's the application for this one. There's someone in our community group, she's a singer-songwriter, her name's Beth Bernard, and uh, she lost her dad to cancer, now her little brother has cancer. There's just been affliction that has been woven into the fabric of her life, and so her latest album was called All My Questions. Like, hey God, I've, I've got questions. One of the lines says, I have to reconcile that you could have changed the diagnosis. Like, I've got to reconcile that, that my dad could still be here as a grandfather. I've, I've got a question about it, God. The afflictions are certain, but so is the covering of comfort. Fourthly, I want to edit part of this. I have the black threads. I want you to change it to some. Some black threads are from a father for fruit. Some, not all. This is important. Last week, my three kids got spanked. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said, spank your kids every day. Most of the time, you'll know why. The other times, they will. <laughs> uh, I, we don't spank them every day. We just spank them when we know. That feels a little extreme. It feels like an overcorrection. I don't even know if he had kids. Uh, nonetheless, the scriptures in Proverbs say, spare the rod, hate the child. And to give the rod of discipline is to drive folly from the child. And so we take God's word as 
as useful. And so as we spank our children in love, I will tell you that having spanked them, Laura and I the next day were like, wow, we actually need to spank them more uh, because sometimes we don't. We're like, ah, they're just being fussy. Ah, just maybe next time. It's actually loving to give discipline. It's unloving to let someone perpetuate in sin. And when we spanked them, I think it was Wednesday night, on, by Thursday I was like, wow, they're different. They're, they're more grateful, they're more respectful, they're playing together, they're sharing, the level of fussing has gone down because discipline yields a peaceful harvest of righteousness. Second, oh, sorry, Hebrews 12 now, Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. And I want you to hear something before I read this. So these are now the black threads that I said here about my alcoholism. These are self-inflicted black threads. Like some black threads are the suffering and affliction that overflow to you, but some are because we make choices. Like I did with my alcoholism or like maybe you did with a, a porn struggle, or a control struggle, or an eating disorder, or greed rather than giving. Some of these are self-inflicted, but even those do not escape the sovereignty and providence of God. He'll take even the self-inflicted threads, and he's like, no, 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 give that to me, and I will repurpose it, I will make it for good. Hebrews 12 tells us this, for they disciplined us, they being our earthly fathers, for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us with, when we present a black thread, self-inflicted affliction for our good, not for our bad, not to destroy us, not to pour out wrath, but for our good. Why? That we may share in his holiness. He's shaping us again with this discipline, driving folly from us. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If, if the black thread of self-inflicted affliction is unrighteous, now, now it's yielding fruit from a father of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The proverb says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Because it only says if you've been trained by it. So you can reject it, you can shake your fist at God, you can think, well, that's just a coincidence or a circumstance, like that wasn't probably God's discipline, and continue in your unrepentance, or you can yield to the fact that, I think the Lord's disciplining me, I yield to him, and I want to be trained by him. I want to repent that I might share in his holiness. And so some of the afflictions, self-inflicted, they are disciplined because we need to repent from sin. Jesus, for all who would place their faith in him, his death upon the cross, his resurrection, they have been saved. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That is the act of justification. But in this life, I don't, I don't know about you, I think probably, unless you're Jesus, we are all continuing to experience sin in our lives. We're doing the things we don't wanna do and we either repent for them or we will be disciplined from them because our Father loves us. That's sanctification as he is working in us holiness. And I don't want you to think that every affliction is a result of sin. Like Laura didn't have cancer because of sin. It wasn't like, well, I don't know what you did in your life that you got cancer, but God smited you. 
That's what Job's friends said. Like, I don't know what you did, Job. You think you're holy? You must have done something to really upset God because you lost all your livestock, all your children, all your health. You must have really offended the Most High. And it wasn't the case. So you can't always prescribe a reason to it. But I think in our hearts sometimes we know it's because of sin and we need to repent. And then fifth and finally, the black threads of life, the affliction, are allowed, and if they are allowed, they will be redeemed. It is a promise of God that if they are allowed, he will redeem them. He will. There's a family at our church, I asked if I could share this story, their names are Liz and Paul, and he is kind of an engineering mindset, he works for a technology company, everything's in its place, there is a process, he's very particular, very detailed, very structured. Liz is like kind of artist, like right-brained, very creative, kind of goes where the wind blows. And so for over 20 years, they were at strife together. Like they would say, self-testified, we had a hard marriage until Liz had a traumatic brain injury and she lost all of her long-term memory and she's got about a 15-minute short-term memory loop. She carries a note card in her pocket that says, this is my address, here's my husband's phone number, this is how to get me home if I look lost. It's that level. And every Tuesday, outside of our staff prayer at the church, I'll see Liz sitting there, just sitting with her back against the wall, praising God and praying for our church. Her life now surrendered as a result of the affliction, and a friend came to visit them. They, they pop into their house and pull Paul aside after having not seen them for years, and they're like, Paul, what happened to you? Well, I mean, we know what happened to Liz with her injury, but what happened to you? He's like, what do you mean? Like, you're you're loving and you're kind and you're tender and you're forgiving. What happened? It's the affliction that God allowed and then he redeemed it. He took all the brokenness of a traumatic brain injury and reshaped that horrific event to use it for the great, they would now say that was the greatest gift from God to repurpose and reinvent their entire marriage to be one of love. If God allows it, he will redeem it. This is Romans 8.28. For those who love God, he works all things for good. Now that does not mean that all things are good. The infidelity, the job loss, the diagnosis, those things are not good, but he will work them for good. It is a promise that he'll take all the broken parts and he will re-engineer them, repurpose them, if he sovereignly allows it, either by ordaining it or engineering it. If he allows it, he will redeem it. And if you look at it and you're like, that's not good, God. What happened in my life, it's not good. And you promise in Romans 8, 28 that you'll work all things for good and it's not good. If it's not good, it's because he's not done. You haven't seen the other side yet. He's at work. He says he never sleeps nor slumbers. They asked Jesus, how come you're doing this on the Sabbath? He said, because my father never stops working and neither do I. So whatever's going on in your life, you can be certain that God is still at work. You just haven't seen the other side yet. It says in Ephesians 1.11, he who works all things into accordance of his will. 
He has a design. He's got a design for your life. And no matter what happens by outside influences, by that person who despises you, by the person who wronged you, by the seeming coincidence and the accident or the affliction, he will work all things into accordance of his will. He's got a design and no one and no thing will ever thwart it. And then it says in Genesis 50, verse 20, after Joseph had been thrown into a pit, raised up, sold into slavery, told their father that he had died, then he becomes a slave, he's accused of rape, thrown into a prison. It says later in the Psalms that he was shackled by feet and neck. That's not in Genesis, it's in the Psalms. Iron shackles, scars. But then he's raised up to the prince, second only to the king during the famine. The brothers show up, they don't recognize him, and then they're horrified, like, oh my goodness, you're gonna have our life. And he says, no. No, see, I, you see this, but God has now showed me this. He, he's showed me the underside of the tapestry. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many lives. You see, you thought you were doing this, but my God, nothing escapes his will. Nothing escapes his design. And anything you do, whatever was meant for evil against you in your life, God will use for good for your life and others. It's what he promises to do. And he's not man that he should lie. And so his promises are true for you, for your circumstances today. I began by telling you about Corey Ten Boom, who wrote that incredible poem. Well, her sister Betsy, as they were in the, the barracks there at Ravensbrook, they were infested by fleas. These, these, these barracks and their beds just infested. And, and Corey's complaining about it before some of the sanctification and having realized like, oh, God's at work. And she's complaining to Betsy like, Betsy, why, why would God allow this? This is miserable, the biting and the, the constant annoyance, like, oh, the fleas. And Betsy, her older sister said, you know what, Corey? We're to give God thanks in all circumstances. Let's thank him for the fleas. Thank him for the fleas? How could we thank him for the fleas? And Betsy said, let's just do. And as they started thanking God in the midst of those horrific circumstances, later, after having smuggled scriptures in and leading many Jewish women to Christ, Corey would later learn, why did the guards let us? Why did they leave us alone? Out of all the other barracks where they would drag the women out, and abuse them and murder them. Why was our barrack left alone? It was because the Germans would not set foot in their barrack because of the fleas. Because God used what was meant for evil for the saving of many lives. Corey's life, and you will meet Jews in heaven one day. How did you get here? How did you get to heaven? Well, Corey and Betsy Tenboom, they had time to share the gospel with us uninterrupted, uninhibited, because those German soldiers, they wouldn't set foot in our barrack because of the fleas, the black thread of affliction. Let me pray for you.